So we're kicking off uh, 2022 with a series, It's Not About Me. And this just happens to be one of our core values at Grace. It's not about me. How we state is we will model the self-giving love of Christ by considering others as better than ourselves, setting ourselves aside, and practicing genuine humility. As a church, this is one of the postures that we want to exemplify, putting others first, setting ourselves aside. And this core value, this posture is going to be something that we focus on this whole year, something that we come back to frequently throughout the year. How do we do this as the body of Christ, as Grace Church? How do we put others first? It's a difficult concept. And as I look around me, I think it's going to be a bit of a challenge. Our culture, our society, everything around us pushes us in the other direction of self-promotion and self-absorption and self-preservation. Not to mention the fact that we're pretty much wired that way from the moment we're born. I mean, babies are pretty demanding, right? We want to get our way from the get-go. If I could just run the world, I say that frequently, it would work out perfectly for me. (laughs) And it's gotten even worse in the last couple of years, even uglier. I mean, you've, I think many of you have probably seen it on YouTube or, or Instagram or whatever, the whole Karen epidemic, where people are just laying into other people because they're not getting their own way. It's crazy. And, and I have to say, there's got to be a male equivalent because it ain't just the women that are acting like this, okay? I don't know. Do we have a Kevin epidemic too? I don't know what it is. But, and nothing against people named Karen or Kevin. It just seemed to be labeled that. Self-absorption is all around us. Do you agree? Do you, do you feel like we're seeing it all around us? How, how about you? Do you think you're selfish, self-serving? I want to take a little quiz, okay? Just a little fun quiz to start out here um, before we talk about harder things. So this quiz, not every scenario is going to like completely apply to you, but just play along and, and pick an answer to go along with it. Just kind of try and put yourself in that scenario, okay? A little bit of acting, role-playing on your part, okay? So we're going to do this little quiz to see how you're doing on the selfishness scale, okay? Oh, you don't have to give your answers out loud. You don't have to tell people what you're answering, unless you want to. I don't know. All right. You're on the plane, sitting comfortably in an aisle seat. A family who have been assigned separate seats from each other ask if you would like to swap with one of them so they can sit together. This means you're going to be in the middle seat. What do you do? Give up your seat. Check with the flight attendant first to see if they can place you somewhere, somewhere better. If so, then you give them your seat. Or you free, refuse to give up your seat. It's their problem. Okay. Good? All right. Your sibling has forgotten Mother's Day. What do you do? Buy a card and gift from the both of you so your mom is none the wiser. Text them to let them know they forgot, but let them scramble to come up with something. Tell your mom your sibling forgot so you are seen as the best child. (laughs) Your mom is visibly tired and complains that she feels a little ill while making dinner. What do you do? Take over cooking and send her to bed. Be sympathetic, but let her continue to cook. It is enchilada night. 
continue to let her cook, but continuously remind her to wash her hands so she doesn't infect the food. You're eating some sweets when you notice the little kid next to you on the bus is staring at the packet longingly. What do you do? You give him a sweet. You offer the kid a sweet. Continue to eat. The kid can get his own sweet. Put it away quickly. You don't want to share, but you don't want the kid to feel bad while he watches you eat. And the last one, and this one hits very close to home for me. Your partner really wants to go see a new musical that's just come out. Their birthday's coming up. What do you do? Buy them tickets and go with them, even if you might not like it. Buy them a ticket so they can go on their own. Buy tickets for both of you to go to a basketball game. You love basketball, and they might learn to love it too. <laughs> I switched that last answer from football to basketball because it fit my husband better. So how did you do? Were you honest? Where do you fall on the selfishness spectrum? I'm going to be honest, I struggle with this in a big way. Not only am I innately selfish and I have the influence of our American culture, but I was kind of groomed to be a me first thinker. And before I go any further in this, I just want you to know that this next section that I'm going to talk about could just be one big soundbite for, for our podcast between Sundays, because Tyler loves to take little snippets of what I say and put it on the podcast. If, you've, if you're a friend of the pod, you've heard it. So this whole next section is like a gift for Tyler of soundbites of what I'm going to say. So here we go. So why I was groomed to be a me first thinker was I was born the youngest of four. And when I say I was the baby of the family, I mean I was really the baby of the family. The next sibling was 10 years older than me. So I was the baby. I was the one that got all of this, the attention. And my parents doted on me. They gave me everything I wanted when I wanted it. They supported me and encouraged me and loved me very, very well. I mean, they had time. They had a lot of time. I was the baby. Everybody else was grown, fairly grown up. They made sure that if I wasn't the center of attention, they made sure that I was all the time. And therefore, I kind of thought that the whole world revolved around me. And I'm not blaming my parents for this. They were amazing parents. And like I said, they had time and energy to devote to me. And much of who I am, all the good parts came from them. I'm confident and bold because of my parents, but I'm going to tell you that I did believe for a very long time that the whole world needed to cater to me. Sometimes I still do. I am a real joy to be married to. Let's just put it that way. So God sees this. He sees where I'm headed. And in his infinite wisdom, he does two things for me. He gives me four children and puts me in a job at a church doing ministry. And there is nothing quite that will snap the selfishness out of you than four kids and working in ministry for most of your life. I'm still really selfish a lot of the time. But the Lord knew that the best step for me would be to give me a job at a church where other people's needs would supersede my own. They have to. And 27 years later, I'm still here and it's still a struggle to live sacrificially. And I fail all the time. And I'm still learning every single day how to put others first and watching every single day as others in this community put me first. 
my circle of friends. Because we weren't meant to do any of this alone in isolation. Self-giving love can only be played out in community. The only way a bratty, self-centered girl from the middle of Indiana discovers that it's not about her is through the love and connection of a self-sacrificing community. And I believe that community is the only way for you to live out this value as well. Because it's not about me, it's not about you, it's not about us. It's about the community, not the individuals, but the whole. And the kind of self-giving, others-first, humble, loving community is the gospel message to the rest of the world. To see what I'm talking about, we're going to turn to Colossians chapter 3 to see what the Apostle Paul has to say about all of this. Uh, If you're going to use the Bibles here in the room, it's page 987. You can also get to it through your app, grab a Bible at home. Hello to all the online folks joining us. We're so glad that you're with us this morning. So grab your Bible. And I also want to give one giant caveat before we go into this whole idea of it's not about me, it's about community. When we're talking about it's not about me, that does not mean that you neglect yourself. That you abandon your own physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Or that you endure any type of abuse in order to put others first. You need to take care of yourself in order to take care of others. And the best thing you can do to put others first is bring your transformed and transforming self into their lives. And you cannot continue in transformation by ignoring your own health. So I give that caveat before we go any further. You need to take care of yourself as well. And sometimes get yourself out of very difficult situations. That does not mean that you are not practicing self-giving love. That caveat said. This particular letter that Paul wrote was to this young church in the city of Colossae. This was a group of people that Paul had actually never met, and the Colossian church was not started by Paul. It was started by a friend of his. I have such a hard time saying some of these words, and I looked it up, and I looked it up. So Tim, if you're out there, I'm sorry. Epaphras. After Epaphras, Epaphras, who started the church, visited Paul in prison to tell him how the church was going, he said the church is going really well, except that the world is trying to pressure people, pressure them to turn away from Jesus. So Paul is writing this letter to the church because of those concerns. He wants them to re-examine their whole lives around the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's a new creation It's a new creation. What does that new creation look like? He's telling them, what does the church look like in this new creation? The whole world had been turned upside down by Jesus. It's an upside down world, and that was true then, and it's still true today. Our world, when we surrender to Jesus, is turned upside down. When we know Jesus, our whole lives should be different should reflect him. It should be contrary to the rest of the world. There is no room for selfishness, no room for self-promotion, no room for self-absorption in the upside-down world of Jesus. 
So where we pick it up in chapter 3, verse 12, Colossians 3, verse 12, Paul has just finished reminding them of their new life in Christ. And in this new life, they need to put to death the sinful earthly things. They need to get rid of lies and anger and slander and greed. And when you look at that list of sins, don't they all, aren't they all born out of selfishness? Of focus on self? You lie to cover up things that you've done or make up things to make yourself look better. You're angry at someone because they've infringed upon your rights. Most sin is born out of our selfishness. And he's saying, get rid of that. And it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. What matters is Christ Jesus. He lives in all of us. We've surrendered to him. We are one in him. And then Paul continues with the section we're going to look at. Colossians 3, starting in verse 12. Read along with me. I'm going to read out loud and read along with me. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say... Do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. What Paul is describing here is the gospel message played out in our lives. What does it look like to live that out? What does it look like to live that out in our community? It's the same motivation as the previous verses where he's telling them what not to do, but he's moved it from negative to positive. In those verses, Paul is sharing how to get rid of your old self, how to get rid of those characteristics, that sin that may have defined you before Christ. And now he's sharing with them what to put on, what to clothe themselves, the attributes, the fruits of the spirit that should show after Christ. And no matter who you are, he says, he makes it clear earlier in the passage, no matter who you are, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, if Christ is in you, that is all that matters. And if he is in you, if you have surrendered to him, you are his chosen people by his grace. And since you are chosen, you are holy people that he loves. Holy people set apart that he loves We're set apart to do his work, not because we're good, but because of his grace, not because we're so lovable, but because he loves us anyway, despite all our ugliness. So since we are his chosen people, then we will put to death the the ways of the world and we will live in the ways of Jesus And what do those ways look like? What are the ways of Jesus? Look at verse 12 again. We have to clothe ourselves in tender-hearted mercy, in kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. 
a list of five things to put on. Just as in verses five and eight earlier, there were a list of five things to take off. We now need to put these on to clothe ourselves in these virtues. And I love that idea of clothing ourselves. Well, first of all, you got to take off stuff because you can't put a big bulky sweater on over a big bulky sweater, right? So you've got to get rid of the old stuff in order to clothe yourselves with the new. And clothe means to put on. The Greek word induo means to sink into your clothing, to sink into it, to be absorbed by your clothing. We are to be absorbed by kindness, or I'm sorry, tenderhearted mercy, gut-level compassion, kindness, being generous or considerate, humility, foregoing your own rights, tenderness, gentleness, which is tenderness or respect, and patience, endurance, and restraint. And this idea of clothing yourself with them means that you make a choice. You wake up every morning and you choose to put on these clothes. You're intentional. You continue to put on these characteristics until they they begin to fit better. As you continue through spiritual practices to be transformed into the image of Christ. There are many different acting methods as an actor, but one of them, and this is a very British way of acting, is that you start by the outward in. So you take on the physical attributes of your character. You put on the costume of your character, and then it takes hold of the inward part of your character. It grows from the outside in. So you put all this on, and then the character comes to life. The more you put these attributes on each day, the more intentional you are, making a conscious choice to dress yourself in the fruits of the Spirit, the more you understand the character of Christ, and the more your life is transformed. Then Paul goes on to say in verse 13, just as God forgives you, make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Paul has already laid this out in verse 11, that this is for all people. Jesus is for everyone, all backgrounds, all experiences, all areas now come together in the name of Jesus which means the church should be a place of difference. And no, I'm not spelling that incorrectly. Difference. Different people from all areas of life. And if that is the case, then we're going to need to bear with one another. Give grace and forgive. When different people come together, they think differently from each other. They go about doing life differently than each other. They might speak differently than each other. They won't always understand each other. As a matter of fact, a lot of times they won't understand each other. So we have to work hard to listen and be patient and kind as we try to learn from one another. And we forgive when we're offended. And that's hard. It sounds really easy in theory, but it is so hard. C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. These are not easy concepts. But as the second half of verse 13 tells us, remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. 
in order for others to see the forgiveness of Christ, we must forgive. In order for others to see and feel the sacrificial love of Christ, we must love sacrificially. The gospel in action through us. We are showing the world Jesus as we put others first. And then Paul ties it all together with, above all, clothe yourselves in love. Love is the greatest of all, the greatest commandment. Love the Lord and love others as stated in Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19 and by Jesus in Mark 12. Love brings all the rest together. If you're putting on the the shirt of, of kindness and the pants of mercy and the sweater of forgiveness, you need to tie it all together with the belt of love. Or cloak it all, clothe it all as you put on the coat of love. Love covers all of the rest of them. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, if I have all of these gifts, prophecy, knowledge, faith, but I don't have love, then I am nothing. The same is true here. I can try to be humble or gentle or patient. The fruits of the spirit. But if you don't have love, then it's hollow. It can even become distorted or imbalanced without love. Love is the supreme virtue that leads all of the rest to perfection. All of these actions, showing mercy, practicing kindness, putting others right, putting your rights aside, being gentle, practicing self-restraint, forgiving, truly loving others, putting them first. This all then leads to harmony, unity, and peace. And as verse 16 says, when we let this message of Christ in all its kindness fill our life, in all its richness fill our lives then we can teach and counsel one another with wisdom. We can sing with thankful hearts and we do all of this as representatives of Jesus. There is no room in the kingdom of God for selfishness. Philippians 2, 4, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others. Or 1 Corinthians 10, 24, don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. There is no room in God's kingdom for pettiness. Romans 12.10, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. And there is no room in God's kingdom for grudges. Ephesians 4.32, instead be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. When we as individuals decide it's not about me and we follow what Paul instructs in Colossians 3, then the church, the community becomes a beacon of light for the rest of the world. It becomes a place and a people that others are drawn to. And this kind of self-giving Others first, humble, loving community is the gospel message to the rest of the world. When they see it, when they see us, his chosen people living out Colossians 3, they see Jesus. And isn't that the point? Isn't that why we're here? So we can live out in our gifts and our calling 
his love so that they see him in us and they are drawn to him through us? Isn't that the point? So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. We are his disciples. We are his chosen people. We are his holy people. We are set apart. Don't we want the world to see that? This outpouring of love that says it's all about you. How can I help you? What do you need? How can I meet you where you are? I can still be and very often am that bratty baby of my family. You can ask them. They're here today. and They'll tell you. Selfishness rears its ugly head in me often. But I have learned so much about self-giving love from you. From you in this room. From you online. The way many in this community have put me first. Have loved me and my family have sacrificed their time and energy and resources for me. I am learning more and more each day how to live out it's not about me from your godly example. I wish I could name all of you, but you all know who you are. I want to be that person for somebody else. I want to be that person for all of you. I talk about her often, but my grandma was the example of this. Tenderhearted mercy, patience, gentleness, kindness, humility. And people were drawn to her presence. You just wanted to sit with her. We all wanted to be her favorite. And she would joke and say, we'd say, who's your favorite, Grandma? She would say, whoever is right in front of me at the moment. And that's exactly how you felt. Because she practiced self-giving love to a level that I will never be able to attain. Can you imagine if we were all like that? Can you imagine what it would say to the world about you as a Christ follower, about us as the church, about Jesus? Y'all, we wouldn't have a credibility gap if we all treated each other and treated the rest of the world the way Colossians 3 tells us to. Saying I love Jesus is not hard. Living the gospel of Jesus is really hard. But that is what speaks the gospel to the world. The gospel has very little to do with what we say. It has everything to do with how we live our lives, what we do, the actions we take, and how we make other people feel. That's what Jesus calls us to. To live like he did and he sacrificed it all. Paul is reminding us of that in Colossians. What we are to be about and what we are to look like. This kind of self-giving, others first, humble, loving community is the gospel message to the rest of the world. Can we be that to them? 
Here's just a few practical things you can do. First of all, if you don't have a community, I hope that you will be part of our community. But you also need smaller community than just this living out day in day, journeying with you all the time. We have many opportunities for you to find that here through our different gathering, gatherings for men and women and students and kids. We also have our Rooted, a 10-week session, small group session where you can find your community, but you've got to have community in order to learn self-giving love. It has to be done in community. You can serve. Serving is a great way to find your community and find, I mean, Lindsay was talking about it. Her community has been found through serving. As we do the show, Little Mermaid, we're finding this beautiful community popping up all over the place. It's amazing. And then, and just, I just, another, we need you to do this. We cannot do this on our own. We just can't. We as a staff, we are in this together. We as a staff cannot do it without you. We need you. As we've journeyed Pat, through this past year, we have seen that more and more, and it is your love that is upholding this church and the people in it. We are so grateful for that. I'm thinking about this week when Kyle Shelf, one of our members, uh, there was a, an accident that he was, was in, and it, it will be months of us coming alongside him and his mom, Lisa, to love on them and support them and encourage them. Lisa was just here. I think she just left to go down to Circle City Relief or maybe back to the hospital today, but we will do it. We will come alongside them, but we cannot do it without you. You are crucial in this. And just a very simple, I used to think, oh my gosh, I have to save the whole world. I can't do it. I can't do this. I can't love everybody. I can't wrap my arms around this whole congregation. And I remember... Jim Falk, one of our uh, founding pastors at Grace, when I was just probably 27 years old and very new into ministry, he looked at me and he said, love the person in front of you, Amy. Just love the person in front of you. It doesn't have to be any harder than that. Whether it's your best friend over coffee or it's the gal checking you out at Kroger, love the person in front of you. Show kindness and gentleness and patience and tender-hearted mercy. Can we make 2020, 2022 the year of not about me? Setting ourselves aside, allowing the fruits of the Spirit to flow from us in ways that will surprise people. We may not change the world this year, but we might start to change our community and we might begin to repair the gap that has grown, grown far too wide between the church and the rest of the world. I want to be that person. I want to be Grace Church. I want to be that church that when people look at us, they see Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord, that's my prayer as we move into 2022 is that as people look at us individually and collectively as a church, Lord, that they see you in all that we do and all that we say and all that we're about, Lord, that they see all of the attributes of who you are, that they are drawn not, not to this place, 
They're drawn to you through this place. They're not drawn to me. They're drawn to you through me, Lord. May we be people that put others first, that are kind and gentle and humble. I pray as we move forward that those are attributes and characteristics and fruits that continue to define us in ways that surprise everyone around us and draws people into your presence, into relationship with you. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.